We're going to continue, or actually wrap up our series called Spirit-Filled Fruit. Anytime we go through a long series, you know, we've been nine weeks on two verses. It's kind of something sad on the inside of me that we're wrapping it up, but uh, Spirit-Filled Fruit, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We've done all those except for self-control. How many of you guys are glad you showed up this morning? <laughs> self-control. Let's, let's get into it. You know that self-control really goes against a lot of what our culture is pushing right now. Because our culture is pushing excess. Our, our culture is pushing pursuit of pleasure. Our culture is is pushing, you know, this idea of whatever you feel like is right is right, a, a, a life with essentially no boundaries to it. Like you have to go out and whatever, you, you know, you do you, you, you know, whatever that is, you know, whatever you identify with, that must be right. Whatever you feel must be right. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not making this up. That's where we're at. Okay. Live your own truth, create your own path. All of these things is the culture that we are currently living in, which goes against, by the way, it goes against what the Bible teaches. Okay, it's not just opinions. It's going against what the Bible teaches. And part of it, now, let me just kind of bounce that. Part of this comes possibly from years and years of maybe uh, oppression in certain areas or years and years of people in power or position using that wrongly to conform people into a certain way or a certain way of life that was not bringing out God's fullness or God's best in them, even though the world, and I say the world by those that are unbelieving, would not put it that way, but ultimately there's now this push to be fully you and fully whoever you are uh, at you know, whatever that is, to be fully free, whatever that looks like, right? You know, when I was a youth pastor many years ago, we had this saying, maybe you've heard this saying before, uh, and it was when I was dealing with teenagers and I'd talk to parents and we'd say it this way, that rules without relationship equals rebellion. If all you have is a house full of rules and there's no relationship, there's no why, there's no relationship behind that, eventually a teenager will find a way to push back on that or to get around that. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. And it's true. I've seen it time and time again, especially in, in Christian households where we want to grow up, you know, raise kids in these certain, you know, this certain idea of how to live life and, and all good intentions. But sometimes the rules, if there's no relationship or no why behind it, it ultimately, when the kid moves out of the house, it produces a rebellion against the very things that we were trying to teach them. However, if our push is freedom, let me just bring this idea to you. Freedom without framework equals brokenness. See, in our desire to have freedom, which this is one of the, this is the reason why Jesus came was to give us freedom, right? And the world is longing for freedom. And our desire as those who are believers should desire freedom as well. But there's a temptation to believe that a lie that real freedom has no boundaries. And that's really what is what we're up against. This idea that if you really want to be free, then you cannot put boundaries on anything. And that is, in fact, a lie. 
Because if you were to experience real freedom, just look at the, the struggle in our nation. How many of you guys know we live in what we call a free nation, right? But what does that look like? How many times do we come up, with this, come up against this conversation in our nation, not in the Christian world, but in our nation of this idea of at what point does your right to freedom now encroach upon my right of freedom, right? And so we have all these struggles and these questions. Like how can we live in a free society where this person is free to do what they want, but at what point does it cross over into this person's freedom to do what they want, right? So what we're seeing here is that even in a nation, we live in a free society, a free nation, but how many of you guys know you can't murder people? But why? We're free. What does freedom look like? See, the point I'm trying to make is this, that real freedom to continue to exist requires some sort of framework in order for it to continue. You cannot have freedom without any boundaries. That's not actually a freedom that will survive. And so we live in a culture that is pushing the idea that real freedom has no boundaries. Go figure it out on your own. Go do what you want, whatever you feel, and go figure it out. But even in our society, we understand that that breaks down pretty quickly. So the question isn't if there's a framework. The question then is what then is the framework that allows true freedom to exist? Because you cannot have freedom without a framework of some sort. When I was a youth pastor, again, I would deal with teenagers all the time. And I'm telling you, the teenagers that I encountered that had no boundaries set by their parents, they looked free on the outside, but I'm telling you, they were the most broken on the inside. Because down deep, we don't crave oppress, oppressive rules, but we do crave some sort of framework or boundaries in our freedom because why? That communicates care, it communicates love, it communicates that there's some, there's some guardrails to our freedom. And those who had ultimate, like no boundaries, no guardrails, no nothing, they looked free on the outside, but they were the most broken on the inside. And the same is true for all of us. Now, Galatians chapter five, verse 13 says this, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, I'm talking a lot about freedom today, and you're like, well, we're talking about self-control. What does this have to do with freedom? Freedom and self-control are connected, okay? So here Paul says, you have freedom in Christ, but here's the purpose. If you are in Christ, you have been given freedom for a purpose. The freedom is now to be used not to serve yourself, but to serve one another and to serve the purposes of God. So your freedom, even in Christ, has a framework. Okay, and it says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity to do whatever you want in the flesh. We, you know, if you read down a little bit further, we see a list of the things that are the flesh. They are, you know, stuff like idolatry, strife, jealousy, anger, divisions, drunkenness, envy, all of these things are works of the flesh. Here's what I want you to understand about any temptation you encounter. Every temptation you encounter is simply an attack on the character of God. Think about it. Lust is simply an attack that says, it's an attack on the character of God that says, I don't believe that God has given me everything that I would want to have. I believe God's holding out. It's an attack on the character of God. Greed, think about this. Greed, any greed that's in your life, the temptation to greed, is simply an attack on the character of God, which would say that God is a provider. It's an attack on that idea that God is enough. 
Like anger in your heart, any temptation to go and to lean into anger that leads to sin is simply an attack on the character of God that would say that God is a just God and that God can handle things. So every, every, every temptation is an attack on the nature of God. It started in the Garden of Eden. It even went to the wilderness where Jesus was tempted. And it, and it continues throughout the day. And so what I'm saying by all of this is simply to say this. If you want to walk in true freedom, how many of you guys want to get there? True freedom. It requires self-control. It's the only, the, the, the self-control allows a framework for true freedom to exist. So how does this work? If this is a fruit of the Spirit, you know, the result of having the Spirit on the inside of us, that, have you guys ever thought about this? Like, why is it called self-control if it's something the Holy Spirit, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Have you guys ever thought about that self-control? Here's, here's how this works. I'll just put it this way. I talked about it in the first week, and I'll repackage it here. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot, but without, the, without us, the Holy Spirit will not. There's a cooperation that happens in order to bring forth this fruit of self-control. So self-control is not some sort of spiritual stubbornness, but it's actually a spiritual surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it, it, it goes like this. The Holy Spirit works in us, and then whatever the Holy Spirit works in us, it's our job to let that work out of us. That's how that works. It's a breathing in and a breathing out. The Holy Spirit works in us so that we can work some things out in us that is displayed as the fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's what's interesting. James chapter 1, verse 14, confirms this, 14 to 15. But each person, when he is tempted, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully born or grown, brings forth death. By that scripture, here's what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit is not so much concerned with our behaviors as he is our desires. But how many of us spend most of our time working on our behaviors? See, this is what we have to understand about this area and the fruit of the Spirit in general, is the Holy Spirit wants to work in us. Because how many of you guys know if he works in us, what comes out of us will take care of itself, right? And so we're so concerned about behaviors and it's not that behaviors aren't important, it's just the wrong place to deal with them. So the Holy Spirit wants to work on our desires. So self-control is a cooperation with the Holy Spirit to live the fully abundant way of life that Jesus intends for us to live. That's what self-control is all about. And it leads us to this whole idea that we're gonna wrestle with today, and it's this. What you allow in you will eventually work out of you. This is a very, very basic principle that's all throughout Scripture. We see examples of it, but we have to catch it because so many times we're trying to work outside of ourselves and just white-knuckle things and you know, just try to grit our teeth, but that's not where the Holy Spirit does this work of self-control. And we, we, we have to realize that if we can't con cultivate a healthy inner life, we will never have a healthy outer life. If we don't get this right on the inside of us and allow the Holy Spirit to work right on the inside of us, it doesn't matter how long or how hard you work on the exterior, eventually it will break down. But how you guys know, we are so trained to try to protect the exterior. You know, I don't care how good your social is. I don't care how good it is. Eventually it's going to break 
down. Now, I showed this video a couple years ago, but it's too good not to show again because it really drives this home. So let's take a look. Mr. and Mrs. Mug met right after college, and like many people, and they, you know, he saw her and said, I, ooh, I got, you know, and she's like, ooh. Very important points. And it's so key to this idea of self-control. All right, so how does this play out? Let's just play this out in some of our relationships and how this might look. Let's take a moment and let's, if you're married, let's kind of take a moment and let's dream uh, our way to a better marriage. Or if you're in a friendship or a relationship, whatever it is, you can play along as well. But I'm gonna have you fill in the blank. And for those of you who are married, you're gonna fill it in this way. If my spouse would blank, my marriage would be better. If you're in a relationship, if my friend would, whatever that is, I would have, we'd have a better relationship, right? So everybody kind of got, it could be as simple as taking out the trash. Just take out the trash. You know, it'd be so much better if we could just, you know, get past this one little issue, right? How many of you guys uh, have something in your mind? Because we all have a list of things that we're thinking, yeah, it would be a lot easier if they would just do this, right? And as fun as that is to think about, it totally misses the whole point of how this works. Because what that does is it, leads us to a false belief about how relationships actually work. And here's the false belief. If it, we believe this, that happiness in our relationships, is, it's based or it's because of what the other person does. And if we believe this, that the, the way that our marriage is happy is, is based on what she does or he does then it also leads us to this counter-belief that if happiness in my relationship is based on what they do, then unhappiness in my relationship is also based on what they do. And if that's the way we live, then we're gonna miss this whole truth that you are only as powerful in a relationship or are only as healthy in your relationship as what's in you, not what's happening outside of them to you. All right, so I'm going to share a concept with you that I learned several years ago from a guy named Danny Silk. It really helped me out, so I'm going to share it with you today. And it's this idea that he has, uh, this description of what a powerful person is like. Now, we're going to define what that means. It's not an oppressive or, you know, not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a powerful person, and he defines it this way. A powerful person is a person who can manage what happens on the inside of them regardless of what the other person does in a relationship. That's a powerful person. How many of you guys would agree that if you have somebody who can manage what's happening in them, regardless of what's happening outside of them, that's a powerful person, right? That's a person we would say with self-control. That, that's, that's it's, like, it's like Jesus in the boat, right? He's going on the boat, the storm comes. The storm is happening outside of Jesus, but what's happening inside of Jesus, complete peace and calm. And he invites us into that kind of life. That it's not saying that stuff isn't going to happen that's bad. It's not saying you can't feel pain. It's not saying you can't do it. It just means that whenever you encounter those things, that you can manage what's happening on the inside of you in a way, through the help of the Holy Spirit, that looks like Jesus, right? John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. This, by the way, is the foundation for love. Love is simply saying, I choose you. How many of you guys know you can choose to love someone regardless of whether they love you back? It's not an exchange requirement. 
And so Jesus said that I choose you. And the Bible says that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he chose us even, when we, even before we could ever give him something back of value. That's the foundation of love. It's not based, it, Jesus chose us not even based on if we would choose him in return. He just chose us to die for us regardless of what we would do about it. That's the foundation of love. And that's a powerful person. That's a powerful God. And basically, he was saying this. When Jesus chose us, he's saying, you will never have to worry about my half of our relationship. How many of you guys know that's true? I never have to worry about Jesus' half of my relationship with him. He's always faithful. He's always right. He's always true. He's always good. He's, always, he's got all that, right? I never have to worry about his half of the relationship. That, that's the foundation, that's the idea. And it, the powerful person is basically saying this, that I, it's, it's basically saying that I tell me what to do and I do it. It's not based on what you do, but I get with God, I get with the scriptures, and I, I am true to that regardless of what happens on the outside of me. How do you guys believe? That's a powerful person who can do that, right? And so if you're in a marriage right now, if you're in a relationship of any kind, a powerful person in that relationship says, you will never have to worry about my half of our relationship because I'm gonna be faithful to you. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna serve you. I'm going to love you regardless of what you do. That's a powerful type of relationship. All right, and then that's the fruit of self-control in relationships. So I, I could say it this way. You know, my wife, Becca, I can't make her love me. She has to choose to. And she can't make me love her. I have to choose to love her because that's how love works. All right, so let's look at this in relationships. Going along with, with Danny's uh, definitions here, what happens if you take a powerless person, someone who can't manage the inside of them, someone who, who is all affected by externals, you take a powerful, powerless person and a powerless person and you put them together in a marriage. What kind of marriage do you have? You actually have a controlling marriage. Why? Because this powerless person believes that everything external is what makes them happy. And so they're gonna do whatever they can to try to manage them to try to make sure that happiness is going to happen back to them. Because they have a false belief that happiness comes from whatever they do. And this person over here is in the same boat. They're going to try to manage that person and constantly say, well, you make me this way and you do this to me and don't do that because you've made me unhappy. And it's, constant, it's gonna be a battle of constant control in a relationship. And, and it's, it's gonna be because you know this person is saying, you make me mad. Like if, if I were to say to Becca, you know, you make me mad. You know, the, the truth is she cannot make me mad. She can do a lot of things that might give me reasons to choose to be mad. Are you guys following me today? But she can't make. So when I say you make me mad, why would, I mean, you think about this logically. If I could actually make her do anything, why wouldn't I just make her believe that I'm the greatest person on the planet? Why would I choose mad? The truth is, I can't make her 
do anything. She has to choose it. And so you have, see, a powerless person believes that it's someone else's job to do my half of our relationship. All right, so what if you put a powerful person, someone who can manage them, who can tell them what to do by the help of the Holy Spirit, tell themselves, and then a powerless person? What, what kind of relationship do you have? You have a dependent relationship. Because here's what it looks like. The powerful person knows that, hey, it can be gray skies on the outside. It can be a storm on the outside, but I can have LA sunshine on the inside regardless with the help of the Holy Spirit, right? And so they come over here and life may be problematic, but they know what's going on on the inside. And so they get near a powerless person. And the powerless person thinks that I'm affected only by my externals. And they get close to this powerful person who's got sunshine coming, right? And all of a sudden the sunshine feels really good. And they get up close to the powerful person. They're just like, you got a lot of sunshine. The powerful person's like, I do have a lot of sunshine. Life is good, right? And then this person over here says, well, maybe you have enough sunshine for the both of us. And so they try to stay near the sunshine of the powerful person until the powerful person maybe has an off day. And then this person over here thinks, oh, something's completely wrong. What, what is this person doing? Again, they think it's the powerful person's job to manage this half of the relationship, right? That, that's kind of how that works. And so they believe that the powerful person should have to work harder on the relationship than them, all right? So what happens if you put two powerful people together? People who could say, I can manage myself. I tell me what to do, help of the Holy Spirit. I've got you know, the fruit of the Spirit on the inside of me regardless of what's happening on the outside. Same thing over here. What do you get? You get freedom. Because now we're free to choose to love one another. We're free to choose. Powerful people are the only people who can truly sacrifice, by the way. Because it's saying, I know what I'm doing on the, I'm going to sacrifice for this person over here. So you have freedom between these people. Back to the main point that whatever is in you is going to come out of you. And hopefully whatever's in you comes out of you and does bless the people around you. It's not saying you can't be blessed by other people. It's just saying if I'm around somebody and I'm not currently being blessed by them, that doesn't mean I can't be blessed by God in the midst of it. That doesn't mean I can't be uh, displaying the fruit of the Spirit. So powerful people know how and have decided to manage themselves regardless of what the other person is doing with the help of the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys would like to get to this place in your relationships? We can, it's, it's simple, it's not easy, but it is definitely possible. And let me show you again that this is a biblical concept. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Watch this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to the end and work for his good pleasure. So you can see the concept there that it's God that works in and then it's us that work out what God is working in. So the Holy Spirit works in us so that the fruit of the Spirit can flow out of us. My wife, Becca, is going to help preach this message. Give her a big hand as she comes. Okay, so I want to give you kind of a little word picture to help you remember. So Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into without walls. So this is pretty profound. So think about this just a second. A man without self-control is like a city broken into without walls. 
I think it's important when we're reading the Bible to remember what kind of culture the people that wrote the Bible were in and what kind of culture the people that were reading the Bible were in. Back in this time, a city without walls was very scary and very, very dangerous. When you were building a city, a wall would be the first thing that you would build. And so in that time, if they heard this phrase, a city broken into without walls, that would strike fear into their hearts. That would, there would be a sense of urgency and almost panic. Are you guys with me? So it, it's serious is what I'm saying. And so the person here that wrote this proverb is trying to communicate that when you don't have self-control, it's serious, it's dangerous, and it's something that you have to think about. So why? Why is a lack of self-control like being a city that's broken into without walls? And it's because if you don't have the wall of self-control around you, then you are subject to the whim of any random emotion that's gonna fly in from any source, right? I mean, Sean talked about relationships, that's a big one. But sometimes, you guys know, sometimes it doesn't have to be anything. You just wake up and all of a sudden you're having an emotion. And so it's, it's actually kind of frightening for me to think about somebody that feels like that whatever emotion that hits them, I have to feel it, I have to sit in it. You don't, that's a lie. You don't have to sit in it. So that self-control kind of um, puts a wall around it. So without that, just think about it. Fear can come in and steal your peace for the day if you're not exercising self-control. Anger can come in and affect your relationships. Hatred or depression can come in and steal something from you. But it doesn't have to if you have that wall of self-control. Several years back, I was dealing with a pretty big issue, and I was at the point of kind of despair, honestly. And I decided, all right, I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast. I need God to move, and so I'm going to fast. And so I decided to fast for seven days, and um, this it was a really, sometimes fasts are easier than others. This was not an easy fast. And I started out just in, just in tears. I mean, just crying to God, just, God, you have to do something. You have to move. And then I kind of went to, okay, well, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I need to shout my way to freedom. And so then there was this crazy joy as I, you know, tried to control God, basically, with my emotion. And then that didn't work. And so then I just got angry, you know, and I'm like, God, I'm just so tired of this situation. And I'm tired. I don't understand what I'm doing. And God only spoke to me one time that entire week, and it was near the end, and what he said, and I heard it as clear as day, was, I do not have to be controlled by your emotions, and by the way, neither should you. And while, while a little baby part of me was like, wow, thanks, you know, but the other part was really God was teaching me something that was so much more valuable than if he would have swooped in and answered my prayer. He was teaching me that I don't have to be controlled by those emotions, that if despair or if anger, if depression hits me, I can choose to not lean into that. I can choose. And I'm so grateful that God said that to me that day. And by the way, I felt like, I didn't say this last night, but I felt like it was important I said it. When God speaks to you, even if God says something that's kind of a rebuke, it's always gentle. 
It's always gentle. I know it seems kind of off topic, but I felt like I was supposed to say this. If you hear anything that is condemning or makes you feel really bad, that's not God. So even though this was a hard thing to say, there was this love and gentleness behind it. So one thing I learned when I was doing some research about these cities without walls is that obviously a city that, that uh, had walls around it, obviously everyone felt more safe. But one thing that began to happen is it changed the culture and changed the people because the men and the boys growing up into it, there were less soldiers. There was less soldiers, they could be farmers, there were less blacksmiths making weapons, and they could do something that they really wanted to do. Like, so there were more tailors and more you know, um, shopkeepers or whatever it was. Because they could focus on what they felt like they were supposed to do rather than think about fighting all the time. And you know, the analogy is perfect, right? If we have those walls of self-control around us, if we are not allowing ourselves to be controlled, by the, every emotion that comes in, then we can step into the calling with confidence and with clarity because emotions cloud us, right? So I just want to encourage everybody to keep that word picture in your head. Next time you're tempted maybe to sit in that depression or that sadness or that anger, then just think about that city without walls and decide, no, I'm going to control it. I'm going to put those walls up. I'm going to control that emotion and step into my calling. So that, that city, every city has gates. You know what you get to do with gates? You get to decide what comes in and goes out, right? That's not to lessen deeper issues, but that's to say most every day we get to choose uh, most of what is happening on that gate. And so that's very, very important. Uh, I'm going to give you, as we kind of come into this last section here, I'm going to really quickly give you three quick things that I believe that will help us partner with the Holy Spirit in this area of developing the fruit of self-control. And these are things that I employ in my life, and I hope they benefit you as well. So I'm going to go through them very, very quickly. But if you want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and to kind of get, get some traction in this area, here's, here's three quick ideas. Number one, prioritize a quick obedience. Psalms chapter 119 verse 6 says, I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. You've heard this said before, that delayed obedience is disobedience. How many times do we hear something that we know is from God, but we, you know, it's good to get counsel. We should do that. It's good to seek wisdom. It's good to pray. It's good to do all those things. But how many times in our life have we heard something that we knew was God, but we said, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek some counsel. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read for a little while. And basically what we're doing is we're buying ourselves time to talk ourselves out of what we already knew God told us to do. We try to find, eventually find counselors that will then echo back to us what we hear and what we want to hear so that we can have a confirmation of something. Listen, if you know something is from God, the, the best decision you can do is to pre-decide that I'm going to obey God the moment I know it's God, and every time, and that's self-control in action. And so pre-decide that you're going to, here's a good question I heard. What if God responded to your needs at the same speed in which you obey him? How many of you guys are like, I'm going to go home and obey, whatever it is right now, like, right? And again, it's not an attempt to control God. It simply where's our heart. Where's our self-control? Our self-control is not always restraint. Sometimes it's appropriate action, right? 
So the second thing is this, practice spiritual disciplines. Now, I wish I could preach seven messages on this, and maybe someday I will. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 says this. Paul's using this analogy. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. He's saying, get a mindset about you of what's happening in your life. Every athlete exercises, here it is, self-control in all things. And they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box at, at you know, just shadow boxing at the air, just taking swipes. He's like, no, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so here's a picture of Paul. He's saying, there are certain disciplines I have in my life that keep me on track. And there's certain ways he did that. He doesn't detail them all out, but we know some of them throughout church history and some of them just from scripture. Things like fasting is a spiritual dif- discipline. Things like prayer, worship. You know, the Bible talks about a sacrifice of praise. That, that's because there are some times when you don't feel like worshiping God, but you offer up a sacrifice of praise to God as a spiritual discipline. That's why we come in here in a rhythm every single week whether we feel like it or not, and we offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. It's a spiritual discipline. It could, you know, you could stretch it out to even be journaling or studying the word of God. There's a lot of different disciplines that you can have in your life that keep you on track. Think of it like railroad tracks that keep you going in a direction. Now, one word of caution, don't fall in love with the rails. See, sometimes what happens is we, we get so in love with the disciplines and we end up, we, get, we, we try to marry the, the rails instead of the destination to where it's going. We get so caught up in studying the word that we forget what the word of God is all about or who it's all about. We get so caught up in prayer that we forget that prayer is not where it's at, but it's who we're talking to, right? We get so caught up in, in fasting. I've seen, I saw this one guy uh, one time, he was so wrapped up in fasting, he almost killed himself multiple times. Times, starving himself, thinking that that was going to be a way that he could get God's attention. Don't get in love with the rails, but the rails can head us in a good direction if we appropriately use them. And so spiritual disciplines help you out. Uh, number three, and this one might seem a little out of place, but I'm telling you, this is very big in my life, and it's this, pray in the Spirit. Jude chapter one, verse 20 through 21 says this, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. See what praying in the Holy Spirit does is keeps yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So I, whenever I'm faced with a temptation or something like that, I will find myself beginning to pray in the Spirit. If you're unfamiliar with what this is, it's talking about a spiritual language that's from God. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit. It's one of the expressions. We call it a private prayer language. You can, you can see this on display in so many areas of the Bible, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, Jude chapter 1 here, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14. I can keep going on and on and on. This is all throughout the New Testament, guys, this whole idea. And so I, one of the reasons why I will find myself praying in the Spirit in those instances is because praying in the Spirit in and of itself is an act of surrender. 
And so I'm inviting the Holy Spirit into that moment where I need to surrender something and I'm inviting, I'm entering into an act of surrender in order to do that. And what happens, I get built up in my most holy faith as the scripture talks about. How many of you guys saw that uh, game show a long time ago, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, right? Anybody remember that? This is like one of my lifelines. I'm like calling a friend, right? It's like, this is my lifeline. If you're unfamiliar with this topic, I encourage you to go listen to the message I preached earlier this year called Spirit Baptism. Uh, it will bless you a lot, I believe, and help uh, bring clarity in this area. All right, as the worship team comes back up, I'm gonna wrap this up with a scripture and a story, and then we'll be done. Very, very important last point, though, here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Have you guys want freedom, right? Freedom requires framework. It says, and we all with unveiled face, that's talking about the old covenant, new covenant, Moses, you can look at context. But it's basically saying, beholding the glory of the Lord, what happens? We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. To another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. What is this talking about? How many of you guys know we are supposed to be conformed into the image of Jesus? In other words, that the more we walk with God, the more we look like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job, we talk about the Holy Spirit, one of his main jobs is to point us to Jesus, right? To point us to Jesus so that we can be conformed into the image of God, into his image, into to look more and more like Jesus. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. Now let me just wrap up with a story. When we were growing up as kids, we, I mean, there were people that lived with us all the time. And we had a big family, but my parents would in, invite these, these guys who had troubled pasts and were in, in, messed up in a lot of ways. And they would just bring them into our house and try to minister to them and disciple them. And, and uh, it was kind of crazy at times. It was just kind of, it was normal for us. We just kind of, oh, here's another person, you know. And, and we just kind of, I'm not saying it was the greatest idea, but it's what, it's what happened. And, and so that was just normal for us. And even when I got out of the house, got married, we'd come back, you know, at Thanksgiving time. We'd, we'd never know who's going to be sitting around the Thanksgiving table because my parents either had somebody living with them or they would invite somebody who just got out of jail or out of prison. And we'd be, I mean, that was just, that's just normal. Like we just show up and, and we'll meet whoever this is, right? And have Thanksgiving together. And it's kind of a rough ministry to be involved in because there's so many times when we'll be talking about somebody and, and I'll be talking about somebody with my parents and they'll say, yeah, so-and-so is back in jail. And what happens with some people is they would, they would actually be able to live more right and more for God in jail than outside of jail. And I always thought that was curious, but I think what was happening there is that somewhere along the way they believed that freedom was not something they could really experience without some external force putting a pressure on them to kind of control the environment. And so when they would get back into jail or whatever, they'd have all these external forces. But when they would get out and, and be free, there was nothing internal that would allow them to manage that freedom. And if I'm honest, there's been a lot of times in my life where I've thought that too, where there's been areas in my life that I bump up to where I think, man, I don't know how I can live this way if this external thing doesn't change. And so what happens is I don't experience real freedom 
and I go back and retreat into where I need external things to come and to put restraints on me so that I can have some measure of freedom, but not full freedom. And, and here's what I want you to, to catch here at the end. We are supposed to be conformed into the image of Christ, to live like Jesus, to look like Jesus, right? Now, here's what I want you to get. There is nothing that can take away your freedom to be like Jesus. Insert whatever you think it is. Well, my spouse is doing this, so I can't live like Jesus. Well, my past, so because of that, I can't look like You see, all of us have things in our life where we think, we wouldn't say it out loud, but maybe I've just given you language for it, that we've, we've lived in such a way that we believe that I could live like Jesus if this outside thing would change. But I'm telling you, there's no relationship that can keep you from living like Jesus. There's no past that can keep you like, living like Jesus. There's, there's nothing that can hold you back from the freedom that you have in Christ to live like Jesus. And isn't that good news to anybody today? Woo, that's good news. There's nothing that can keep me from being like Jesus. Why? Because nothing is more powerful than what Jesus did on the cross. And if he died and rose again, and on that cross he says, you are free, there is nothing in heaven or in earth or in the past or in the future that can be more powerful than that. I can be like Jesus regardless of what happens on the outside of me. And that's a perfect conclusion to what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. It's that working on the inside of me that regardless of what's happening on the outside, I can have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things can happen on the inside of me regardless of what happens on the outside of me. And that's what it looks like to live like Jesus that we would be known by those things, amen. Would you guys stand up with me? We're gonna make a declaration one more time with our words. Jesus, we thank you so much that we are not what the world says or what our past says or what our circumstances say or what our, our situation is, but we are who you say we are. And we walk in the freedom that you say we have. And we walk, that you're, we just make this declaration that your way is the best way to live in freedom. That your framework, the framework that you give us, the rails, the, the narrow way that leads to life is the best way to live in freedom. And we make that declaration in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing to him one more time.